Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And today we are going academic. We're going to go to Michigan State University's Broad College of Business, and we're going to be talking with Forrest V. Morgison III, and we're going to be talking about all things related to the ACSI, American Customer Satisfaction Index, but we're also going to lead off talking about this whole concept of tipping and tipflation and the expectation and how it's actually hurting customer satisfaction scores. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Before we do, a couple of quick announcements. If you've got an amazing story that you want to share or you have a question that you want to ask, please reach out to me on any of the social media channels because I'm pretty much everywhere. I will answer the question right there. I will answer it on this show, maybe in my newsletter, or you can catch me on Amazing, uh, I'm sorry, this is Amazing Business Radio. How about you can catch me on Be Amazing or Go Home? And that's my little TV show that airs, oh, every once in a while, but you can find it on Amazon Prime and Apple TV, Roku, or just go to BeAmazing.com. That's BeAmazing.com. Catch episodes there. All right, let's jump into the interview. Forrest, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited to talk to you. We are going all academic today because you're a professor. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, Perfect. And, and what I'm excited about is that uh, you are involved with the ACSI, the American Customer Satisfaction Index. I have been looking at that, studying it for, I don't know, decades, maybe a 20 yeah. plus years. How, how long has that been around? It's been almost 30 years now. The actually wow. the, the pilot... Um, uh, data collection phase was in the summer of 1994. So we're okay. So next year is 30 years. 30 year mark. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, I haven't been involved the whole time. I was still in high school when that, <laughs> 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 but I have been involved with the project for more than 20 years now in one capacity or another. So um, I, I'm pretty uh, intimately familiar with the project and the data. Well, I'd love to say that I was in high school uh, 30 years ago, but unfortunately, I had already been into this business 10 years, if you can believe okay. that. So okay. uh, this year will be my 40th year in business. And I realize if you look at my pictures, I don't look that old. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's that's where, well, I, I want to talk about two things today. Uh, I want to talk about the ACSI, the American Customer Satisfaction Index, and what seems to be trending in a positive uh, direction for consumers saying, hey, we love the brands that we're doing business with. And we're starting to see a reversal of a trend that's been happening for years, which has been a decline. And we'll talk about that. But first, uh, you mentioned when we were connecting about the interview today that you wanted to go in the whole world of tipping, uh, tipflation, tip creeping, whatever it is. You know, I go, I go to, uh, this is the truth. I go to get, uh, and I, I did not do this for my car, but I'm with somebody who got their oil changed and they asked for a tip when they were getting their oil changed. And that was a new one on me. Um, I get it in the hospitality world, but I was wondering, you know, in, in the automotive mechanical, you know, oil change world, you know, tire company, whatever, I was surprised. So what's your take on all of this? What's going on out there? 
That's a really interesting phenomenon. I mean, and I think it's, um, you know, the kind of thing that's become ubiquitous enough at this point that consumers are really taking notice and they're they're reacting to it more loudly. Um, and you've seen, you know, a lot of popular press talking about it and the the, the whole phenomenon. Um, I myself had a windshield replaced um, about six months ago and the guy actually came out and asked me for a tip. It was one of these services that come to your house to replace your windshield. And he came out and flat out asked me for a tip. And I, I thought it was really strange, um, but it's become, you know, you know, particularly in the gig economy and, and those kinds of things, it's really become central, for instance, to Uber and Lyft and those kinds of services that you're just, you've always tipped yeah. a taxi cab driver. Why wouldn't sure. you tip an Uber? But remember sure. in the beginning, Uber and Lyft, no tipping. Just get right. out and go and forget about it. Right. Um, you know, I think part of it is technological advancements in terms of service delivery. I mean, so much more of what we do now um, when we're paying is done, you know, through some kind of a computerized system, whether it's, a, you know, an um, Apple uh, iPad that you're actually paying on running your credit card through and then you get in invariably asked to tip for all sorts of services um, that are provided through those Apple iPads, but even the the smaller handheld devices that they use in a lot of restaurants now and when you're paying for oil and, and those kinds of things so that they can automate the service, it makes it much easier for them to sort of add on an opportunity for you as a consumer to tip. And so, you know, take those technologies and you take the the new world that we live in and we're getting asked to tip so much more frequently for a variety of services that we simply aren't used to tipping for. Um, and, you know, what you call tipflation, I mean, I would think of it from the perspective of the consumer. I mean, if it becomes part of a larger and growing number of service experiences to be asked to tip, we then as consumers sort of mentally compound that part of the experience into our value perception and our price perceptions of those experiences. And, you know, basically what you said in your article, I mean, it, it begins to inflate our perceived, you know, the price that we're going to pay for those variety of services and, and has sort of a negative impact in that way on the, on the consumer. So I was at a venue, um, I probably in the last few months, I, I, I lose track of time. And the venue had an area sponsored by a major grocery store chain um, here, here in our region. And I went through it and uh, I believe uh, never interacted with one employee, self-serve checkout on a candy bar, one candy bar. Okay. It asked if I wanted to leave a tip. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that is wrong. That is, yeah. that is, you know, it's like, no, I didn't get it. Um, I, and by the way, I, I go every time I go to the coffee store and I get my Starbucks or I go to the local Caldies here uh, in my, in my building where I live, I always leave a tip. And now it's on the, I all, it never, it, it was never like uh, opt out of it. it. Now it's like, you have to opt out if you don't want to leave a tip. And the amount of money they're asking you to leave, I've seen it start at 25%. And people are telling me it even starts higher than that. I get it, 10, 15, 20%. We're looking at basically um, quick serve, people behind, you know, that's what they're doing all day long. And I get it, they deserve something. They're they're friendly, they're engaging, they remember me when I come in. I always feel like yeah. I want to tip them. But now I feel like I'm obligated to tip them. 
And right. And, it, it, and that's it's, when it becomes, yeah. you know, sort of onerous for us and we perceive it as a burden. You know, we don't want to feel obligated to to tip. Um, you know, you know, the industries where the the service staff are being paid, you know, meager wages and they're, you know, living on tips. I mean, tips is where they make most of their money. But you also know that some of these people are making, you know, fair hourly wages for the job that they're doing and, and being asked to tip is, you know, sort of a new additional cost to doing business for a lot of these people. And I think that upsets consumers um, and you're getting some backlash to it, right? You're seeing yep. articles, hey, I'm not going to be pressured into tipping you, um, you know, 20, 25 or more percent for a service that, you know, historically has not been a tipping kind of service. Right. Well, we're getting used to it. I mean, it's just what it is. And, and I think as we get used to it, we'll probably start to do it. You know, here in America, we tip. I go over to Europe and it's like not expected unless you're an American. And then sure. then the people expect it because you're an American, not because it's the normal thing to do. And I just yeah. feel really guilty going to some of these places internationally where they say, no, you don't tip. I feel guilty not leaving a tip. Sure. But when I go to some of these places, as I mentioned, and it feels like it's an obligation, I do feel a little uncomfortable not doing it. But at the same time, it's like, really, what did you do? What did you do for me? And uh, and I go to uh, quick serve fast food restaurants at airports. And it's interesting. Some kiosks, same brand, um, ask for a tip and some don't if you're at a different airport in a different city. And I'm not sure what that's about either, if it's just all coming that way and it hasn't been rolled out. But um, do you think that that impacts customer satisfaction scores? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, in the broadest sense, customer satisfaction is, you know, the aggregate of all of our experiences with a company over some period of time or our lives as consumers. And, um, you know, if we start to feel that this is, um, you know, part of a business practice that we didn't sign up to have to pay for, um, yet we're, you know, and a 20% tip means that that good or service costs 20% more, you know, I mean, that that in some um, you know, in some contexts can be a substantial amount of money, you know, obviously we do it at restaurants, but even there, you know, I mean, you hear, you hear the stories of someone only tipping 8% on a $2,000 restaurant bill, you know, because they, they look at it as well, that the total sum is so much that 20%, I'm not going to pay it. Um, so even or, in those, or they order the very expensive bottle of wine, had they order, uh, the $40 bottle of wine and not the $300 bottle of wine, they would right. have been tipping on a $40 bottle of wine. Right. And I, I mean, this is, and I don't know what's right or wrong. And then uh, I was in New York and uh, talking to my daughters who live there. And I say, you know what? I don't mind uh, when they make a suggestion and tell me how much the tip is, but we're now tipping on the tax. Yeah. Not just the, and, and my daughter who's in the restaurant industry says, well, in the Midwest, they don't do that. But here on the East Coast, they do it. I'm going, I don't get it. You know, yeah. tip on the tax. By the way, I'm the guy that tips over 20% when it's right. But I just don't, you know, I, I look at that and it, and it just leaves a little bit of a distaste in my mouth. Uh, yeah. But I am a happy tipper. Well, so. it's generational too, Shep. And I mean, I think at some point, you know, this is going to be the way things are done, that 20% is sort of the starting point rather right. than a reward for exceptional service. And it will just be expected. And again, as consumers, we'll all just impound that increased cost into our perceptions of what we're going to get at a variety of places and move on with our lives. Um, you know, I, I don't know. 
well, the here's, old generation is going to have a tough time coming to terms with right, that. Right, right. I mean, I, I've, it's just I've not how always we been a big tipper since I was a teenager because I worked in restaurants and I realized just right. how important it was. Um, there, Here's the stats that come straight from your report, the ACSI. And for the industries related to tipping, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm reading this off of the sheet that was sent ahead of time. It's down 4%, the customer satisfaction. Ratings of staff courtesy and helpful, in spite of them asking for a tip, is also down 4%. Perceived value of the overall experience, down 4%, yet they're asking for money in exchange for the value of a good service experience. Right. Right. And that, you know, we're, we're talking at different levels of aggregation. That's going to be across a whole bunch of data and a whole bunch of, of customer experiences. But nevertheless, you're right. I mean, we're perceiving lower value in a variety of goods. And this spans industries where, you know, tipping does and does not really exist as a practice. Um, but, you know, you've got prices skyrocketing due to inflation. Um, you know, that settled down a little bit, but still, you know, at historically relatively high levels. And then add on to that the fact that you're expected to tip more. And there's a guilt component to it too, right? Because not only do you have the the service provider standing in front of you as you decide whether or not to tip them, but for so many people, particularly in those kinds of jobs where wages are relatively low, you're thinking, oh, goodness, this person you know, is probably having buy stuff, you know, having trouble buying stuff with their with their income, just like I am because of all this inflation. How can I not be kind? So, you know, it sort of becomes, you know, a guilt experience for some consumers. I'm sure it's leading them to stay away from those kinds of experiences where they may, you know, feel that they're pressured into to over tipping. Um, well, I'm tip willing to ride the wave as long as the wave is consistent. So yeah. if if the rest of the country is going to be tipping, I'm a I'm a, I'm on all these industries that we're not used to tipping in. I'm all for it, and I'm going to go along with it. But I don't want to be guilted into it, uh, business by business by business. Hey, we're going to sure. shift gears. First, we're going to take a break. When we come back, what I want to talk about is a reversal of the downward trend over the last few years in customer service and customer satisfaction, because outside of the companies that seem to be asking for tipping or the brands that seem to ask uh, a bunch of others, including, by the way, I love this, the airline industry, it's starting to see a little bit of an uptick in how yep. customers are perceiving their experiences. We're going to come right back after a short break. We are talking with my good friend, Dr. Forrest Morgison all the way from Broad College of Business in Michigan. Don't go away. One of my favorite sayings is that customer service isn't a department. It's a philosophy. And it's a philosophy that must be embraced by everyone in the organization all the time, and that's 24-7. So if customer service is important to you, and I know it is, then you will love our virtual training, the ultimate on-demand customer service and experience training program that you can access anytime, anywhere. Now, the course content applies to everyone, regardless of position and responsibility, from senior executives to the most recently hired and everyone in between. You'll discover tips, ideas, and strategies that won't cost your company a fortune, but will produce what I call moments of magic, those positive experiences, and it will happen at every level of your organization. So go to Customer Service VT. That's V as in virtual, T as in training. That's CustomerServiceVT.com. It's time to get customer focused. You're 
listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio, and we are talking with Forrest Morgison, and we are talking, well, we've been talking about tipflation. Now, the ACSI, the American Customer Satisfaction Index, go, is going to be 30 next year. Very exciting. I love the ratings that you, and, and when you look at the brands that are at the top, um, and I know you and I, uh, you know, Klaus, who started this, uh, he, uh, we talked about creating a portfolio of stocks to buy based on this high satisfaction rating. And right. you can look at NPS scores. You can look at simplicity and convenience. The companies that rock in these areas always seem to collectively, not individually necessarily, but collectively outperform the market. And I caution people to say, okay, let's just buy a, a quick index. But like companies like Lexus are typically at the top, but the problem with Lexus is they're part of an automotive group. And if automotive as a general class is down, it doesn't matter how good the company is. It, they're, they're down. So it's cyclical. You have to be careful. But um, some some points for us to talk about. Number one, things seem to be turning around. You said three quarters in a row, we've had an uptick, which to me indicates there's a trend uh, compared to the how many years of declining satisfaction ratings. Yeah, that that's right. We've seen, you know, we had a really long period and I'm talking about, um, you know, more than four years where customer satisfaction in the aggregate at the national level was either slightly or strongly declining. And this predates COVID. So it wasn't um, entirely driven by COVID. Of course, we had some, you know, uh, significant negative movement during and after COVID, during COVID because of the, you know, total collapse of so many um, business models and, and you know, demanding of changes to those business models to continue functioning during COVID. And then after COVID, of course, we had, you know, runaway inflation like we haven't seen in 30 or 40 years. So, um, you know, well, that- Not to mention supply chain issues crept absolutely. in. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and as as companies rebounded from COVID, they had this almost an effect uh, in some ways. I'm not going to say start over, but it was like they had to build back up the momentum, you know, right. um, sure. and that took a good year or more. Yeah. And some, well, and of some course, companies some are still experiencing yeah, they they weren't able to do it. I mean, we we lost a lot of businesses, um, you know, shortly after COVID, and then you know we're still seeing some that have, um, you know, been hit so hard by COVID that they're you know finally after struggling for a couple of years are going into bankruptcy. Some you know big retailers that have been around for you know fifty, seventy five, a hundred years closing their door um, because, you know, COVID was sort of the the death nail in the coffin that, that you know, put uh, fragile businesses, already fragile businesses in the ground. So it's really been, you know, a trying time from that perspective. And as you mentioned, supply chains, just the ability to get stuff at our favorite retailers that we want to buy um, to find the things that we want to buy. And we still see some of that years removed now from um, the worst of the COVID pandemic. And post-pandemic world has still been affected by that. But, you know, after that long period of, of decline in, in aggregate customer satisfaction, we're seeing small but consistent upward movement over the last few quarters, which, you know, again, as you said, um, points to a trend that things are getting at least a little bit better. Now, the one thing I'd warn about is we haven't recovered, right? We're not back to where we were um, six or seven years ago when the ACSI was at or near its all-time highs. So we've still got a ways to go, but... Um, you know, positive momentum is positive momentum. 
Would you agree that there are some rock star brands out there that set the bar for every other type of company and brand? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, we we think of it from the perspective, you know, from a more academic perspective is customer expectations and how those customer expectations are formed through psychological processes. But I think part of it is what you say, that there are certain brands out there that we will reflect on the experience with that brand um, when setting our expectations for all sorts of other brands, even those brands that aren't in the same industry or anywhere right. near the same industry. Um, you know, I had a, you know, great experience at the, you know, at the Apple store. Um, you know, they knew, they knew the technology inside and out and, and, you know, I was able to make an appointment and get in and, you know, do everything I needed to do. And it was just an outstanding experience. I'm going to use that as a benchmark to set my expectations or some of us at least do this um, across industries. And when I go into a restaurant, I want that level of, you know, engagement. I want that, you know, high knowledgeability of customer service staff. I want all of, you know, that stuff. And so um, at least to some extent, it does sort of, you know, tend to impact across industries when you have those really, really high level service providing companies in other industries. Yeah, and that's been my point all along is that the rock stars set the bar for everybody. And that includes B2B, because even if you're a manufacturer selling to a purchasing agent, that purchasing agent or group of purchasing agents within a company are all consumers and they know what good service looks like. They sure. know what expedited delivery or on-time delivery looks like because they're comparing you to Amazon. They know what great communication is Thanks to Amazon that sends you an email when you place the order, when they ship the order, and when you receive the order. <laughs> you know? yep. So yeah. uh, all of these companies, these brands like Amazon set the bar, and it doesn't matter, B2B. And I know you do some work in the government as well. Uh, one of your books uh, from probably, what, about six, seven years ago has to do with how government treats their citizens the way companies should. It, it, it compares to the way companies treat their customers. Sure. Sure. And that's, you know, that's always been a difficulty for government. And um, you, you see that um, as uh, you can see that phenomenon pretty clearly when um, our elected officials in Congress will sort of look at how government is doing and say, now let's compare it to the private sector. And, and um, you know, it falls tremendously short of the private sector. And shouldn't we be privatizing some of these services so that they'll do better? I mean, of course, the problem with that logic is, is that, you know, government is not, at least in the same way as the private sector, a profit-making enterprise. And so it's never going to have that same incentive to deliver extraordinary service that you've got for some of these private sector companies. If, um, you know, there, there just isn't that same profit motive, motive and there's no competition. Right. So it, it is a different enterprise, but at the same time, yeah, government has always sort of been held against the standard um, that's being offered in the private sector and usually doesn't come out looking great by that standard. And, and unless you go to Singapore. <laughs> there are a variety, there are a variety of governments that you know do exceptional work. Um, yep. We actually did training that. over in Saudi Arabia and Riyadh, uh, yep. just to the ministry, the government ministries. I was brought into uh, Abu Dhabi um, over there in uh, the Emirates, uh, and the specifically to talk to all of the ministers of the different departments. And I'm going to say it. It was a, a difficult speech, not because they weren't a wonderful audience, but to get their mindset 
thinking consumer versus constituent or citizen is sure. a different mindset altogether. Um, so uh, I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, airline satisfaction is improving. Hospitality is improving. Uh, and, and hospitality, it looks like pretty dramatically. Um, yep. So I love that that's happening. We're going back to an era when we're starting to receive some good value for the money that we pay. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think, you know, again, coming off a really difficult time for the entire economy um, and coming back into a more normal period, I think there are expectations out there from consumers. Okay, we made it, you know, through COVID. COVID's over. We are as a group of consumers starting to demand that we get what we used to get even before, um, you know, the, the period before COVID. We, we want to go back to that strong service environment. And you're seeing a lot of companies respond by offering better service than they have in some cases ever. Um, but in other cases, um, you know, just just better. We just want better. And, and we're starting to get it a little bit in those kinds of industries, um, which is a nice, you know, nice way and hopefully will help the entire economy continue to rebound from what we experienced during COVID. So I know this is kind of a, a question that could take two hours to answer, but I'm, and this isn't my final question, but can you think of how does a company, uh, what can a company do? What, what Like what's your top suggestion that a company can do to increase their customer satisfaction score? Now that is a loaded question. I mean, there's probably 74 answers, but yeah, first one I, that comes to your mind. Well, I mean, the problem is, is it's, it's, it is a loaded question, um, but only because it, that the answer to that question is really going to differ by you know, based on the kind of industry that we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, um, if we're talking about, you know, uh, somewhere in the online retail space, Amazon that you mentioned earlier is a good example of that, right? Um, what do they need to do to, to, you know, improve their customer satisfaction, let's say, well, you know, they're going to have to continue to offer those really, really competitive prices like they do um, across the board. And at the same time, continue to deal with the increase in, in system load that they have and the problems that that causes for their, um, you know, on-time delivery. Uh, and that's been a little bit of a problem for them to the point where they've had to go out and, you know, sort of build their own fleet of delivery vehicles rather than relying on existing logistics companies. Um, that's going to be totally different than, say, the airline industry, where, you know, we're all just tired of being packed onto, you know, cattle cars and we want larger seats and we want more space and we want to be able to at least sit there comfortably when we're on an airplane. And you finally got some air airlines that are saying, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't reduce the seat size anymore. And maybe even let's add a couple inches into the seat. And yes, I know it'll cost us in terms of, you know, profitability per flight, but, you know, consumers have just had it with some of this stuff. So it really is going to depend. I mean, you know, Offering strong customer service, at least in those services industries, um, you know, and that may simply mean having enough personnel in those kinds of instances where we still anticipate getting some human service provision. Um, but if you're not going to do it and you're going to go towards the technology model, then make sure that the technology works before you roll it out. That's a pretty obvious one, right? We've all seen the, you know, our grocery store is going to go to only, you know, three active checkout lanes and the rest of it is going to be, you got to check yourself out with your groceries. That's great. That's fine. We as consumers can adapt to that, but you got to make sure the technology works. Right, right. right. Yep. Don't roll it out to us if you can't make the technology work or if half the terminals are going to be down. And, um, you know, 
again, it varies by industry, but there's some pretty simple things that I think companies can keep in mind. All right. You know, we've got to be customer centric. We got to think about what our customers are going to be going through throughout this experience. And if you can maintain that focus, you can probably improve your customer satisfaction. Yeah. So I get asked this question quite often and you hit on really two of the three points I typically make. And number one is when you talk to leadership, leadership, there's usually a gap between what a leader thinks they're really delivering in great service and what the customer actually says. So we tell them, you got to become customer centric, which means play the role of a customer, go in and mystery shop your own company and experience. And by the way, don't call it an easy time. Call it peak times and experience what that customer gets. The other thing is, uh, you know, if you're going to do this, create the culture that's focused on that. And anyway, it all starts there. We're down to the last moments of our interview. So I'm going to ask you the final question. You've got so much wisdom. And uh, tell me (laughs) the last nugget that you would like to share with us today. Oh, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting time going forward um, for us, uh, you know, as human beings, but as an economy as well. And I'm really, really fascinated to see how humans are able to deal with the rapidly changing technological landscape and what it means for services. I mean, we're in an era now where a lot of what we're going to be getting in terms of service is going to be delivered by non-human yeah. Intelligent machines. You know, what does chat GPT mean for all of these other large language model AIs? What do they mean for, for service? And they're really going to fundamentally change the service landscape in a way that I wish I was smart enough to understand. But, uh, you know, it's going to be profound in terms of what we as humans, are we up to the task? You know, I read a fascinating article uh, a couple of weeks ago that, um, you know, for the first time in like 80 years uh, aggregate IQs are down in the United States. Our wow. IQ is going down. Um, and in part, you know, the explanation for that is because technology does so many, you know, solves so many of our problems now. We have fewer and fewer problems to solve. And so we don't exercise our brains in the same way that we used to. But what does that mean for a world where we've got to be able to, you know, deal with this technology as part of the customer service experience? Are we up to the task? Are we going to be able to do it? Or are we just going to see satisfaction sink as, as so much becomes automated and, and driven by AI and we now as consumers? Consumers have to to know how to work that stuff. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, do you segment the responses that you get at ACSI uh, by generations? We can, yes, and we've done that in the past. Yeah, I'm going to look at a stat from our research, and we ask people what they feel uh, customer service is going to look like in the future. And one of the uh, top choices that people made was intuitive self service options that allow for easy and quick access to information and answers. And also, if you think about the digital technology in a grocery store, checking yourself out, any of the technology. Now, it's interesting when you break it down by generations, the older generation skews that number to where it is much higher. The reason is, is because it's not, they don't need, the boomers need intuitive technology. The Gen Zs and the millennials, it doesn't need to be intuitive because they've grown up with it and they're used to it. It's just what they expect. Yeah. I thought that was a fascinating finding. Uh, they're, they're digital natives. We call them digital natives. They've been connected to a phone their whole lives or um, you know, they were born with a phone in their hand. So they know these technologies better. Yeah. So the idea you hope 
you know, as those people become, well, they already are, the millennials are already the the predominant force in the economy in terms of spending, um, you know, they'll be passed up by the Gen Z sooner rather than later. And, you know, a lot of those problems will hopefully go away. But in the meantime, it's going to be an interesting transition. Well, this has been a great uh, discussion. I, I love it. And I really appreciate you being on the show for us. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio, because this was an amazing interview. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode of the show. Next week, we'll be back with another interview, and I sure hope you come back because I promise it will be amazing. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken, and I'm reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.